Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Welcome to this podcast on values-based recruitment. It's one in a series that NHS Employers is doing on this subject. My name is Hannah Murphy and I work for NHS Employers. We've been finding out what the NHS is doing to make sure they employ the right people, people with the right values and behaviours, and people who will deliver excellent patient care. One trust who has been working to embed values in their employment practice is Bradford District Care Trust. And I'm here today with Steve Keyes and Lisa Michelangeli. Steve, could you start by telling us why you set out to do this piece of work and what your ambitions for it were? I think there was always been a sense in the way that we recruit and select people in the health service didn't really feel right, that we spend an inordinate amount of time in interviewing individuals without really fully understanding what it is that we're really recruiting to and actually how we measure the impact of that recruitment and selection. Um, and then afterwards, once we've recruited and selected individuals, how can we ensure that those individuals actually are doing what they're meant to be doing in terms of their own performance. So one of the starting points for us really was to look at when we talk about accountabilities and responsibilities and key behaviours that are required within our organisation, what does that actually look like? So in other words, what does good look like in our organisation? So the starting point for that was to do uh, quite a bit of research in our organisation four years ago um, about what good looked like. So we, we we asked staff, we asked service users, we asked carers, um, we did a number of one-to-one interviews, we had focus groups, um, we had a whole raft of, of, of different things. So, the, the, so the, the, the research was a, a really important starting point for us in terms of that research piece um, because we really needed to understand what great looked like. And unless you can really nail down what some of those key behaviours are, then you're never going to be able to measure anything. And the other thing that we did is that we really needed to get a good understanding about what was really important to us in our organisation. And that had never really been done before. So as part of that research piece, we also asked um, staff and service users and carers what was really important to us in, in, the, in our organisation and the service that we provide. So out of that research, we came up with, uh, originally it was seven different competences. Um, and we had five values that came out of that as well. Um, and the, those competences that thread throughout our whole um, organisation development interventions. Um, when we went through the TCS uh, process and colleagues joined us from the PCT, uh, we then uh, had an opportunity to really look at the competences again. And we revised the competences and re-looked at it and we ended up with six competences. Um, and what we wanted to do as well is to keep them really simple so that all staff at all levels could pick them up and really understand when we were talking about, for instance, building understanding, what do we actually mean in that? The other thing that we've done is that um, it's uh, based on a distributed model of leadership. In other words, everybody at every level in the organisation has some part to play in being a leader, and that's really important philosophy that underpins uh, our key values within our organisation. Uh, one of the other things that we did as well was that whilst we could look at the things, the positive aspects of people's behaviour, the other thing that we wanted to do was actually to say to individuals what is not expected and really what is what we don't want people to, to be able to do in the organisation. So we quite simply said within each of the competencies what's not acceptable. 
um, and, and to be really quite firm and honest about that as well, really. And the, the consistent feedback that we've had from managers and individuals about that, that is really well welcomed, uh, particularly when managers are having conversations with individuals that might not be doing the best that they can. So that was the starting point, really. So that building the architecture then allows us then to build up a whole range of other organisation development interventions that build into our talent management framework. And one of those key aspects is around recruitment and selection and what that might look like. Um, I think the other thing around it, and particularly at the moment, whilst we've been doing this work for a couple of years now, it's obviously come up to the uh, top of the intray because of the Cavendish report. And in the Cavendish report, it looks at employers should test for values and behaviours. Um, and also the Francis report has obviously been critical in all of that stuff as well, really. Um, but when you look at some of the evidence base around that, there's quite a big evidence base to suggest that selecting people for um, uh, values um, and also behaviours is critical within that as well, really. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, that once we've created this architecture around our competencies and values, it then threads into a whole range of other, other things that we do within the trust. So um, we've got values into action, so this is about sharing what's important to us in the organisation, having open and honest discussions with staff, also about some of the difficulties that staff has, have as well really. Um, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination in our organisation, but I think that we try to do the best that we can. Um, each of our job descriptions are then threaded back to our job descriptions, so we very clearly set out what each uh, individual is expected in terms of their accountabilities and responsibilities around each of those key behaviours. It's threaded through into induction, it's threaded through into our appraisal documentation so that everybody understands what's expected of them and where there are some development gaps we can then spill out into that some um, individual training plans. Um, we've got a Eurostar Awards that we have every year that's a celebration of, of the brilliant stuff and the brilliant work that staff do and again that's around our values. Um, and then the usual stuff about when you walk into the organisation, what is it that people can see? So typically we've got screensavers and badges and hats and that's a joke, it's not hats, but you know, it kind of threads into pretty much everything that, that we've got really. So you get a real sense of the organisation when you walk in to any, any part of the organisation, whether it's an award or whether it's um, at HQ or in the community, that we're all about our values and that, that's displayed. So what, one of the things that's quite irritating, as I mentioned really, is that the NHS in general and in our organisation, um, before we start to do this work, the way that we selected people once we'd, we'd started to, to get people through NHS jobs was basically just to interview. Now, and when you look at the evidence around um, selection, uh, in terms, because essentially in, in selection what we're trying to do is we're trying to predict somebody's performance and we want obviously to attract people and to employ people that are going to be the best that they can be. And typically traditional interviews um, have, a, have a, a very low predictive um, outcome in terms of performance. Uh, the best prediction around some of this stuff um, is around assessment centres and assessment centres are then able to look at a number of different methodologies during that assessment process that can pick up on and are anchored back to those core competences and those key behaviours. But we're not able to put everybody through assessment centres because obviously that's a very expensive way to be able to do that. 
So what ways could we really look at being able to select people that would be cost effective but actually would be evidence based and would give us that predictive uh, performance for those individuals that are going to come and work in our organisation. Um, so one of the things that we started to look at, uh, well, the there were two things that, that we looked at. First of all, we looked at actually how could we sift out individuals, particularly around our high volume recruitment, which is healthcare support workers and healthcare assistants. Um, how could we sift out individuals so that we got those individuals down to the interview that we had a, a better chance of being able to predict their performance. So the manager felt more confidence that actually that individual that was sat in front of them, they would probably be a um, higher performer. Um, so one of the things that we set out to do, uh, which Lisa will talk a little bit more in, in detail, is a situational judgment test. Uh, the other thing that uh, we've been doing quite a bit of work on recently is about values-based interviewing. And again, Lisa's gonna talk a little bit about that. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Lisa, as Steve mentioned, you've been implementing some changes to your recruitment practices to incorporate a focus on candidates' values and behaviours. Can you tell us about the work you've been doing there and what you've been finding as you've been doing it, please? So in terms of the values-based interviewing, it was really important for us to be clear to establish what we mean by values-based interviewing, because on the surface of it, a values-based interview looks very similar to a competency-based interview, and we're already using competency-based interviews across the organisation, so it was really clear to make sure that we understood the difference. Um, and the main difference with a values-based interview is the depth of the interview. So whereas with a competence-based interview, you'd ask a question and the individual would describe you know, what the situation was, what action they took and the results. With a values-based interview, when they get to the results piece, you would ask a lot of specific probing and follow-up questions to really get underneath you know, their reflections um, around what had happened, any learnings, how they felt about that situation. So there's far more depth in the interview and because of that it's much more of a fluid process because you're responding to the, to the answer that the, the participant or the candidate gives you and then following that up with more questions really to get underneath who they are as a person and that's the main difference when we talk about a values-based interview. Um, so as a trust we've worked to build up a bank of values-based questions and um, as Steve's already explained we've got a wealth of information around our values so we had a really strong starting point for that so we developed a bank of values-based questions and then some follow-up questions that managers will be able to use to support those. What we've also put in place is um, sets of um, behavioural indicators, or I think we're going to call them things to listen for, that managers can use to then evaluate responses to the questions. Because we're quite mindful that this is um, a, quite a shift in the way that we're asking managers to interview. And what we need to give them is a framework to be able to evaluate those responses so that we can be fair and objective when we implement the approach. So a typical question that we might have um, as part of this is something like, tell me about something that you've done at work that you're proud of. And you might follow that with a question such as, um, what is it about that example that stands out for you? So within the trust, once we developed the bank of questions, we um, worked extensively to test them out with different staff groups, but also with our patients and service users. And that was really important. And I'm glad that we did that early in the process because when, when we did those groups with the service users, they had a really unique perspective around how those values should be lived out and what we would be looking for 
in response to some of those questions. So it was great that we had that kind of whole view about what was important in the questions that we asked. The other thing that we wanted to consider in developing the questions was the work around compassion in practice and how we could support those implementation plans in this piece of work. So Action Area 5 <coughs> is all about getting the right staff with the right skills in the right place. And there's local level action there to integrate the six C's and values as part of recruitment. And so for us, so that we're not duplicating work, we wanted to make sure that that was incorporated in this piece of work. And actually, there's a really good fit between the six C's and our organisational values. Once we had the questions in place, the next stage for us has been the piloting. And we've tried out the questions in, in a variety of live recruitment settings and um, across different services and at different stages in the recruitment process. So um, both alongside the competency-based interview, but also as a screening tool, um, as a telephone interview, so a kind of 15, 20-minute telephone screening interview around the values. And from the work that we've done so far, there's been some real learnings. Um, I guess the, the best thing that we found out is actually the questions are working really well, both in terms of how they differentiate between um, candidates, but also in the wealth of information that they generate. And, and they are really giving us a whole depth of information that we weren't getting previously from the competency-based questions. But because of that, what we've also found is that it takes a high level of skill to be able to use this technique effectively, because it takes practice to be able to listen to what a candidate's telling you and to process that, and then to think about where you want to go with the questioning. And for that reason, the scoring guide and the follow-up questions are really important to make sure that we're consistent in terms of how we use the approach. The biggest challenge for us is going to be the fact that um, it takes time to interview like this. And as Steve was saying earlier, you know, we've got a long way to go with some of our recruitment practices and, and often we would only allocate 20 minutes for an interview. And to be able to do something like this well, we're going to have to educate managers around making sure that more time is devoted to this um, interview. So in terms of implementation, we're looking to implement shortly and what we'll be doing is putting this in place for six months and then going through an evaluation process. But what we're looking to do is to make one question bank available to all managers. And what we want managers to do is to then look at that in relation to the other competency-based questions that they will be asking to assess knowledge, skills, and specific technical abilities for the roles. And the reason we're doing that, as I said earlier, there's a lot of overlap between competency questions and values-based questions in, in terms of the lead question that you might use. And if we, do, if we give managers kind of a contained tool and say, for example, these are the questions that you need to ask for a band for team leader, then there may well be some overlap with what they're doing. And what we want them to do is to make a deliberate choice and decision around which of the values-based questions are most appropriate for that role. Um, obviously, we're going to have to support um, our managers with this process and, and train them. And I think what we will be doing is doing this on a campaign-by-campaign -campaign basis so that we can work closely with those managers, recognising that the levels of skills and experience across managers is different, and so the support that they might need could vary. And obviously thinking about how this sits alongside our existing methodologies, so all the technical competences still measured. And, and being willing to learn from our mistakes, really, and recognising that you know we're going to put this in place for six months and evaluate it, but actually, we've been learning throughout the process and there's going to be learning still and recognising that we have to be 
you know, receptive to picking up that learning and making changes to the process that we put in place. From an evaluation perspective, um, obviously, as we carry out the interviews, we can collect immediate feedback from managers around perceptions of how well the questions have worked, but also how they found the process. Medium term, we're going to be, so this is as we kind of implement it for six month process, we'll be collecting um, manager information around performance, so specifically looking at those individuals in role and how they're performing, but also collecting information about the candidates' feedback on that process, because if we're expecting them to demonstrate our values as part of the recruitment process, then we also need to show that we demonstrate our values in how we interact with them. So measuring that and being really conscious that that's an important part of the process. Longer term, we'll be looking at how this intervention impacts on performance, turnover and sickness, and then hopefully ultimately patients' experience. But we're going to have to be really careful with that evaluation so that we can attribute any changes to this specific intervention. The other piece of work that Steve touched on briefly at the beginning when we started talking was our talent screener, which is a bespoke situational judgment test that we use for sifting out healthcare assistance in the early stages. And what this does is present them with a series of scenarios which are very, very closely related to what they might encounter in their day-to-day -day role. So they complete this online right at the early stages of the recruitment process, and we would typically um, sift out to applicants at the early stages using that tool and, and we sift applicants out in two ways so those that fail to achieve a certain score having completed that test but what we also found is that there's an element of self-selection so because by reading these scenarios individuals get to develop a thorough understanding of what they're going to be doing they're then better informed to make a decision about whether or not that's going to be the right role for them. And also, there's a large proportion of people who don't go on to actually complete the test or choose not to complete it. And I think with the nature of NHS jobs in its current form and how, it, how easy it is to apply for jobs, so once you've uploaded your CV, you kind of just click and apply, it, it, it would sift out those people that, who necessarily weren't that committed to applying for that specific role. So. Um, so individuals are sent an email link and they go on and complete the questionnaire and, and then obviously we can sift them out accordingly. The benefits around a talent screen are, are well documented in terms of reducing the applicant pool before shortlisting, um, affecting do not attends at interview, which are typically high with these types of roles, improving hit rate at interview, um, quality of hire, but also reducing managerial issues such as kind of disciplinarism, um, retention and we're still doing the evaluation of the tool in Bradford District Care Trust but already we're starting to see that it has an impact on um, attendance at interview but obviously immediately we're seeing that it has a big impact on um, how many people come through the process and the amount of time managers spend sifting through applications so on a typical campaign so if the so, so a typical campaign where we have 100 applicants, we would sift out about 60% of those through the introduction of the talent screener. And, and also, in, from a face validity perspective, managers like the talent screener because they can see that exposing, it is exposing applicants to scenarios that are relevant to the role. And anecdotally, managers say that they have confidence when candidates come to interview having completed the talent screener that they actually know what the role is about because believe it or not we have people turning up for those jobs and really they, they haven't got any kind of understanding at all about what it is they're going to be doing so we're seeing benefits in terms of 
helping people to understand what it is they're going to be doing. Um, in terms of usage in BDCT, um, so far 730 people have completed the talent screener and, and that has resulted in 403 people, so 730 have been invited to complete it, 403 have actually completed it and of those there's been 269 completions. So as I was saying, typically of 100 applicants we would get 60, 60 of those out of that process through the implementation of the talent screener. Thank you both. That's been really interesting and a lot of thought and planning going into improving the experience for recruiting managers and for candidates and also for patients ultimately. We really look forward to hearing how that goes as it's implemented and the evaluation. Um, good luck with it all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.